production and audio editing brought to you by Richard Borger with Meraki Recordings. And it was at that point in my life that I rebirthed in a way and came back to life and went, right, I'm going to live with purpose. Because if I can do this again, if I can start again, then I can do anything. If Rise I can, from the ashes, yeah. that experience. What a turning point. Amazing turning point. And so then I decided that there was, that failure is fabulous. Um, that I don't want to turn 80 one day and look back on my life and say, I didn't do the things I wanted to do. Whether I succeed in them or I don't succeed in them, I can look back and say I did it. So now through this cafe, because it works better than over a TV show, um, I get to teach people that. Husna Pasha is the charismatic, engaging female behind Alicia's Cafe Collective, the community restaurant where you can enjoy quirky, authentic vegetarian dishes, weekly cultural events, and the best chai around. Today, Husna leads us on a journey through her childhood as the only Indian Muslim in her town, to her time as an occupational therapist, and ultimately to the talk show host, mother, and restaurant owner that she is today. Enjoy wisdom, laughs, and a few tears as we learn about life, love, and what it takes to be Australia's answer to Oprah Winfrey. Stay with us as we learn how the past and the future of Melbourne is shaped by the Muslims. Welcome to Culture and Cuisine, the podcast, season two, where we are creating conversations in the Melbourne community to show that everybody is from somewhere. Even the locals of today are shaped by the foreigners of the past. And with that, we can begin to understand and appreciate the diversity around us. I'm your host, Casey Hirschman. Sharing the table today is Husna Pasha. I'm Husna Pasha, the owner of Alicia's Cafe Collective. And my In the Field co-host, Simon Sheridan. I'm Simon Sheridan self-confessed foodie and entrepreneur. Husna introduces us to her professional background and the journey that led to her owning what is now Alicia's Cafe Collective. So I um, have got an interesting background. Mm -hmm. I uh, have got an occupational therapy background. Mm -hmm. I've been working in workers' compensation for 18 years. And uh, about four or five years ago, I decided to take a mission that I had and this burning desire to be the first Brown Ellen DeGeneres of Mm -hmm. Australia. Uh, I like to dream small. I'm a big, <laughs> big believer of dreaming small. So I thought I want to be the first uh, brown talk show host of Australia. So about four or five years ago, a friend of mine uh, rang me up at 10 o'clock at night and said, hey, listen, opportunity of a lifetime to co-host the project on Channel 10. You've got to do this. Audition tonight. Now, I looked green. I looked like broccoli. <laughs> and I thought, really, do I do this? And I thought, well, you know what? Um, the worst that can happen is I will fail. So I went into my bathroom and I auditioned and I won the competition and I ended up co-hosting the Channel 10's project for a night. What a phenomenal opportunity. So from that point I said, yeah, we we can dream big and things do happen. Mm -hmm. So the next thing I did is I booked myself a lecture theatre and I created the talk show. And so for the next three years, the talk show got bigger and bigger and Mm -hmm. we had full houses and ABC did a documentary around it. Uh, the reason I tell you the story is because through that journey, there was an initiative 
here at this exact building of where mm. Alicia Cafe Collective is now residing. And there was an initiative called Speed Data Muslim. Mm. Now, Speed Data Muslim was about um, non-Muslims speaking to Muslim women in mm. particular yes. uh, that wore scarves, that didn't wear scarves, that mm. wore the entire burqa mm. um, and would ask crazy questions like, so do you wear hijabs in the shower or do you think ISIS will stop bombing the world? Mm. So I would normally respond with my comedic background and say, well, look, it's not fair of you to align me to ISIS. I'm actually with the Taliban. <laughs> <laughs> and that's unfair to, you know, it's constant yeah. favoritism towards ISIS. It's like, well, let's talk about the others, you know. <laughs> So through that experience and the journey of seeing people feeling empowered through conversation, mm. I decided that, yeah, the talk show will continue as a live stage production, but I'm not chasing fame. I'm chasing the empowerment of human beings. Mm. So, yeah, yeah. And, and, and the opportunity of a lifetime came to take over this business, um, not with the same name, but to take over what was already a, a community hungry mm. for empowerment. So uh, I left the corporate world after 18 years mm. and I took a leap of faith and I took this business over eight months ago mm. and I called it Alicia's Cafe Collective. Alicia stands for Aaliyah and Shahan, who are the children. Mm. And uh, the Cafe Collective side stands for a group of people coming together to achieve greatness. Mm -hmm. So I guess that's the foundation of, of what we do. They're your children? So they're my children. Yeah. I know you're probably looking at me thinking she doesn't look old enough to have kids. <laughs> you're only human, my darling. You're only human to think so. Um, so and how old are they now? They are now 10 and 6. Oh, so it's a great opportunity. It's a great time. You know, I come from an Indian background and a Muslim background. Mm -hmm. It's okay. You're safe. But, <laughs> but it's interesting. The Indians really are about, you know, education. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, getting, you know, big corporate executive jobs. You know, working in high level, you know, in backgrounds. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when I took this opportunity, my parents were petrified mm. that I was walking into such an unknown world and a world that they weren't unfamiliar with. Um, but for my children, I see this as an incredible opportunity to watch their mother work really hard to achieve incredible things. And research actually shows that um, children of working mothers end up becoming highly paid professionals themselves mm. um, as opposed to stay home. So there's That's no right or wrong. Yeah. yeah, by example. Absolutely. You know, where my mum kind of feels it's important for me to be at home all the time. Mm -hmm. And I think, no, it's really important that my kids get to see what it's like to work hard and achieve great things. Yeah. So Pursue a passion. Yeah. Make a difference. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Totally. That's cool. Um, yeah. So have you enjoyed it so far? You? It has been one of the biggest journeys and challenges of my life. The amount of times I went mm. into fetal position last year <laughs> is countless. Yeah. Um, you know, overheads are really high for businesses. Mm -hmm. I guess that you don't, you can't control how many people walk into a business. All True. you can do is do your best. Yeah. Um, and you know, the world is unpredictable in that way. People are unpredictable. And because of the economy, uh, people normally can't afford to go out all the time to eat either. Mm. But the good news is, is people do have to eat. So and in Brunswick, in this part of Melbourne at least, you, know, you serve great coffee and good chai. Yes. That should pull the crowds in. Well, look, it's starting to, and I've realised that you really need to have a niche. Mm. Um, which we are finding with our vegan chai and, mm. you know, with our whole sort of slogan of east of the middle. Mm. Uh, what does east of the middle mean? It means we're left of centre, we're crazy by nature and that everything that we provide as far as our cuisine mm -hmm. is uh, not claiming to be specifically Middle Eastern or Indian or European. It's kind mm. of east of everything. Yeah, yeah. we were going to ask about the menu. I love the names of the different dishes, like <laughs> the east of the middle, middle of the east, west of the middle. Absolutely. Really clever, yeah. Um, were y'all trying to, I guess, I don't think we had it recorded earlier, but um, 
talking about having people look and think about it, like what were you trying to create with uh, names like that and dishes like that? My whole journey at, with this cafe and I guess the whole purpose of this place is to celebrate cultural diversity mm-hmm. and to have an all-inclusive conversation, mm-hmm. which is what the menu is all about. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about east to the middle, middle of the east, west to the middle, we'll eventually mm-hmm. go s- south of the middle and north of the middle. Yeah. <laughs> and it's about how can we celebrate different cuisines from all around the world, sometimes on the same plate, sometimes on a different plate, mm-hmm. but it generates a conversation about why where's it from, tell me more about the story. And it creates a sense of engagement with our customers that is unlike any other place where you just get scrambled eggs. Yeah, yeah I notice that the scrambled eggs is served with hummus, hurlemi cheese, crispy kale with warm pita bread, but it's not merely called scrambled eggs with hummus, it's hummus sapien. <laughs> it certainly is. Because I'm obviously, you know, I, I um, am a big believer that laughter is the best medicine. Mm. And I thought that I would uh, translate that into a menu as well. So when people look at the homo sapien, they have to say it back to me. Yeah. Um, I giggle with them. <laughs> Sometimes I make fun of them because they don't say it right. So that I make them say it again. <laughs> so I do crazy things. If they don't finish their meals, I bully into bully them into why they didn't. It's, um, it's a different place. And, and the customers come back for that because at the end of the day, it's the food that they want. Yeah. But the service mm-hmm. is imperative. And the joke never wears off. And the joke never wears off. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. And uh, do you continue like classes or things like that to help educate the public beyond just interacting with the menu or is it mostly interacting with your customers? It's a bit of both, uh, Casey. So at the moment, I think one important thing on our menu is that we've tried to make this as gluten-free as possible. Mm-hmm. Everyone has intolerances these days. These days I'm actually saying people are food intolerant because mm-hmm. there is so many people walk in here not being able to eat onion, garlic, mm-hmm. gluten. There's so many things these days. Mm-hmm. So we thought, what can we do to make this easy for everybody mm-hmm. that has an intolerance of some nature? Mm-hmm. Now, basin flour or chickpea flour should become every food intolerant person's dream. Mm-hmm. So we use all of that for our deep fried veggies, for our samosas, for our chini balls. So everything is so uh, well designed for people with intolerances as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've, catered ju- we've catered for that, but we've also catered for the palate of people that aren't... Uh, comfortable with making vegetarian food Mm -hmm. a lot of people probably want to be vegetarian but they don't know how to make the food Mm. i myself come from an indian background where everything was meat 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 (laughs) (laughs) right um you know mum thought making potatoes on the side was somehow really healthy So, everyone so loves a goat curry. Everyone loves a goat curry, right? So um, I'd never I heard of a broccoli vindaloo. It never happened. It should have. But I thought, how do we make the food so flavoursome with the same spices and the same flavours that people will not miss their meat? Mm-hmm. And we have people walking in here thinking they're going to need a cheeseburger after the meal and realise mm-hmm. that they didn't miss it at all. Wow. And so the the menu is designed in a way where it's Moorish, it's hangover food, it's mm. family food, it's the stuff that you feel that you've come home to your mum's house. It's it's that type yeah. of a yeah yeah that's cool. Why why did you choose like to go towards vegetarian vegan? This this business prior to us mm. um, was already a vegetarian place. Okay. So uh, for the sake of I guess feeding the community with what they wanted there was Mm -hmm. no point changing things too much you never change anything that's not broken yeah I'm a big believer of that um but the more and more especially Brunswick in particular it is a vegetarian community it's in fact it's almost becoming a very much a vegan community Mm -hmm. so you deliver what the the customers in the community are asking for 
Although vegetarian and veganism may not be the traditional way to serve the foods that Husna presents on her menu, she manages to keep her flavors and dishes authentic with tradition. She shares how she has managed to do this. Absolutely. Uh, initially, this this business started off Middle Eastern and Indian with mm. my influences, mm. uh, with the influences of the Middle East, mm. and also my husband's actually Mauritian. So mm. there's influences of Mauritius as well. We have a beautiful uh, um, Moroccan chef, we have a Mauritian mm. chef, mm. and we have a beautiful Aussie guy that's now made a European plate for us too. Mm. So these cuisines that we have created are very much the typical home-based foods. Mm. So as an example, for the Middle Eastern, we use, you know, capsicums and eggplants, you know, uh, with the baba ganoush that we make. Mm. It is no... I I can see now why my gas bill is so high because there are (laughs) eggplants on all my gas stoves smoking all day long. And I'm thinking, couldn't there be a better way? Yeah, but it's the best way because it is so authentic. You can can smell and taste the smokiness of our baba ganoush. Mm. it's just to die for, you know, shakshuka, the way we make it, it's, it's coming directly from a mama chef from Morocco. Mm. Um, and it is served in such a way that it feels wholesome and amazing on the plates. Uh, of course, the Indian flavours are from my mum. Mm. And for me, family and history and stories are my favourite thing. Mm. And I want to somehow translate that onto the plates so that I can tell the story of my crazy Indian mum to my mm. customers. Yeah. So again, it generates amazing conversation through the food that we're serving. Yeah, gives people an opportunity to have an insight and hear into like your life and realize that, you know, they probably had some of the same experiences. Look, absolutely. My desserts in particular, we make a really Moorish carrot cake that Uh is, um, and we call it mama's cake. Um, and so when people ask us about it, you know, mm-hmm. I'm forever talking about the appreciation I have uh-huh. about the way she taught me how to cook when I was a young girl. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, I never thought I'd be in this industry somehow, but I, it makes sense that I am. Yeah. Um, it's a great culture way to... and cuisine and stories are so intertwined. You can't mm-hmm. separate them, right? You mm-hmm. really can't. I mean, the best conversations do happen around a dinner table. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the amount of stories I get to share with people here at a local level, you cannot imagine the lives you can change by having just a great conversation with somebody. The people that walk into this place are quite phenomenal humans. Uh, And I'm a big believer of the unheard story. Yeah. We transition to understanding Husna's background, where she grew up, and what led to where she is today. Wow. So when I grew up in Tassie, yeah, you're right, I was the only brown little girl in Tasmania. And in fact, people thought I was Aboriginal mm. or Indigenous. So clearly I am the only, or the last Aboriginal standing in Tasmania, actually. <laughs> um, what bothered me about, uh, it didn't, that didn't bother me. The racism never bothered me. It was the personal attacks that bothered me when a child called you fat or ugly. or mm. It was those things that bothered me. But I started to realise very quickly that I was different. Mm because of the way I was being brought up at home. You know, we would still eat curry and rice with our hand. Mm. My friends thought that was crazy. I was bullied at school because of the smell of my sandwiches, you know. It's just yeah. the way they were just jealous. They were just jealous, let's be honest. Let's be frank, George, let's be frank. But um, it was an interesting time growing up. Being Muslim back then was a... Nobody cared. Nobody mm. it was. It, you could have been mm. Buddhist or Hindu. It didn't matter. Yeah. But growing up in Tasmania was a very important thing because... Um, being minority, mm-hmm. it taught you a sense of community mm-hmm. and you turned friends into family mm-hmm. uh, because the rest of the family lived in India, our grandparents, our cousins and everyone. Uh, Mum and dad were pretty strict. Mm-hmm. Uh, they 
clearly still wanted us to be good Indian girls. Mm. And the whole goal really in life was to get married, you know, mm-hmm. find a great husband, <laughs> doctor or a lawyer, definitely either IT or engineer, you know, get diabetes when you get older and then drop dead and you've had a successful life. <laughs> So I, I can still do your mum's accent. Oh, I do it all the time. I do it to her. She's like, I don't talk like that, okay? And I said, hmm, okay. Uh, <laughs> so uh, the backstory to that is, is as a result of that, I did something really crazy at the age of 20 years old. I had a self-identity crisis. I couldn't figure out who I was. Was I Australian? Was I Indian? Was I Muslim? Who was I? Mm-hmm. And I would call myself Bollywood Dundee. Mm. <laughs> because I couldn't figure out who I was. It was the girl that sounded like Dundee but looked like Bollywood. Yeah. I couldn't figure it out. But as a result, once I finished my degree in occupational therapy, I um, arranged my own marriage wow. to an Indian Muslim. Wow. Didn't know him from a bar of soap. Wow. Knew him for four weeks, so engaged after four weeks. Isn't that against the rules of tradition? Wow, it's actually completely at the rules because he he ticked all the boxes. Okay, he ah, ticked all okay. the boxes of the prerequisites, but he didn't uh-huh. he didn't tick the box for me, which was love. Mm. And I thought I was just doing the right thing to kind of mm. please mum and dad and get my identity crisis sorted out. Well, that didn't sort out anything. So I was married by the age of 21 mm-hmm. and I was divorced by the age of 22 wow. with a very, very severe eating disorder and wow. depression. And it was my dad that turned around and said to me at that time, if this is what you thought we wanted for you, mm. uh, we were so wrong. We want you to be happy. And that bubbly, bouncy, boisterous young girl has gone. Mm. So we've learned our lesson too. It's about love. It's not about prerequisites. And it was at that point in my life that I rebirthed in a way mm-hmm. and came back to life and went, right, I'm going to live with purpose. Because if I can do this again, if I can start again, then I can do anything. If Lights I can... the ashes. Yeah. The what a turning point. Amazing turning point. And so then I decided that there was... That failure is fabulous. Mm. Um, that I don't want to turn 80 one day and look back on my life and say, I didn't do the things I wanted to do. Whether I succeed in them or I don't succeed in them, I can look back and say I did it. Mm-hmm. So now through this cafe, because it works better than over a TV show, mm-hmm. um, I get to teach people that. Wow. So you've got this burning passion to um, express your desire to help other people. Yeah. Kind of, because you've come through a lot as well. Yeah. You know, last year I spoke at the International Women's um, day breakfast with a rotary now this was the biggest keynote I'd ever done this was in front of 1200 people and the people that won the panel with me were um, the Ombudsman of Victoria the CEO of Telstra the CEO of Ernest and Young all, all these high level people and I remember saying to them in the back, at backstage what the F am I doing here <laughs> And funnily enough, I stood on that um, stage Mm -hmm. and I gave three key messages for the day. One of my key messages were, women start looking after each other. Mm -hmm. This sisterhood doesn't exist. We say it does, but women are bitchy. Mm -hmm. Women don't take each other on the ride all the time and the sisterhood is not as strong as we want it to be. Mm -hmm. Let's take each other on the journey. You know, number two, let's not disempower men as a result of women's success because there are great men out there. Yeah. People like my husband who cut toenails at night and read storybooks while I'm off being career-driven. Mm-hmm. And number three... What a, what a champion, right? Yeah. And number three, and it's a very masculine thing to do. It's mm-hmm. not a feminine quality, it's masculine because he's a parent. Yeah. And number three, want the same success for others as you want for yourself. It's a very lonely world to be successful by yourself. We have one life. Let's all be happy. Yeah. Uh, take people on the ride. Um, that got a standing ovation that day. Wow. And I, I started to realise that that was really what I was 
on this on this world uh, earth to do was to teach people to live it yeah. So we turned this cafe into an, a place. As you can see, it's not just a cafe. Mm-hmm. We have three or four rooms upstairs. Yeah, we have a wellness space. room. Yeah, It's an amazing space. And we've turned it into a place where we can create music. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have live comedy shows here. We have wellness. Uh, we do meditation classes. And I bring people in from outside and I mm-hmm. allow them to showcase their talent so that they can succeed. Mm-hmm. And that's what this place is about, sharing food, arts, music, love <laughs> the whole lot yeah i should mention for our listeners that here we are seated upstairs in one of the function rooms at alicia's there's a massive persian rug adorning the floor uh, we're sitting on ottomans we're sitting at a low level table with a very middle eastern looking lantern and some candles <laughs> on the table and we could be in another world and you could be aladdin on your Persian carpet, yeah. because Simon does look a little bit Aladdinish. Yeah. So yeah, there you go. I am the magic genie after all. You really, really are. Well, that was the. I'm going to rub your shoulder. <laughs> With all of the activities going on at the cafe and the time spent creating wonderful new dishes, Husna still has her sights set on becoming Australia's Ellen DeGeneres. She shares what is in the works to continue to perpetuate that mission. As you, you so you proclaim the Ellen DeGeneres or on your website, it says like the Oprah. Yes. Um, what are your, your plans? For- I still have a talk show coming soon. So okay. in May, we're having two live shows. Okay. Um, this time I've decided to partner up with a, a company because I've been mm. running the talk show live on my own. So I'm the sound engineer, I'm, mm. I'm, I'm everybody. Mm. Um, so this year I'm going to be talking about the cafe as well mm-hmm. on the talk show. I'm going to be bringing some of my staff in to showcase their talents. Mm-hmm. And it's not food, it's their singing, it's their art, it's wow. their performance, it's everything else. So I really want to showcase mm-hmm. um, and celebrate the nation. And that will be what the next show is about. That's beautiful. And what's the talk show? How do people find it? What they can, they can go to my website. They can go to Facebook. Husna Pasha is obviously um, the Husna Pasha show is what it's called. Um if you can even say it, you will get a free ticket to come. <laughs> um, but it'll be coming soon. But look, we'll be vlogging and blogging before then as well and really trying to empower people through entertainment. So um, follow us and, and uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I will. <laughs> I'm like already, like I want to, just like your energy and vibe is very um, uh, contagious. Thank you. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. I think we should all be comfortable to be ourselves. Mm. Um, I don't change myself whether I come to work or I'm at home, what you see here is what you'll get at home. Uh, and I think corporate appreciated that for a while and they struggled with, mm. you know, is it, not, is it okay to be ourselves in the workplace? And the answer is yes. The answer is absolutely yes. And so I'll continue to empower people. It's a yeah. very cool thing. Yeah. yeah. I don't know why we feel that we have to put on a persona. Mm-hmm. And I always say to people, we all go home and wear the same tracksuit pants at night, yeah? <laughs> and watch the same shows and complain yeah. about the same curves and the same issues. Mm-hmm. Just because we have a title by day, it doesn't mean we are better or worse off than anyone else. Mm. We're all humans trying to get through this world. Let's do it together. Yeah. Yeah. Get that. And that's how I feel about like culture and cuisine. You look at people at our core, we all really experience the same issues and yeah. looking for success, supporting our family, like trying to find happiness we just do it a little differently absolutely absolutely and to celebrate diversity you know I'm not a believer of gender equality Mm. 
Uh, the reason I say that is because if my husband asked me to lift the 20 kilo box that was next to both of us, <laughs> I'd be telling him to pick it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So all of a sudden I don't want to be equal. We've got our roles. Yeah. yeah. I, I think equity is a great thing. And mm. I think being different is wonderful. And we should embrace difference, um. not equality. Husna, can I ask you, what, um, what do you think is one of the biggest things that Melbourne or the whole of Australia could still learn about diversity? I think uh, there are certain, I guess, industries that haven't learned to, to um, embrace diversity at this stage. Mm-hmm. And one of the industries is definitely the media. So we still have the token brown person or we still have a you know a token Asian guy that's that's um, definitely stereotyped and plays a certain role mm-hmm. on TV. Uh, when my documentary came out on ABC last year, mm-hmm. I was offered an opportunity on a Channel 10 program to audition. Mm-hmm. But the role they wanted me to play was typical Indian, you know, like uh, I'm either the Uber driver or I was going to be something yeah. crazy. And I said no. Uh, because we're, we're not celebrating diversity. We're, ex- we're, we're celebrating stereotypes. Mm. I don't want to be the girl that shakes her head on a TV show. I want to be Husna, mm. and I want to be known for that. Um, so I think Australia has a lot of work to do as far as really uh, being authentic about are we a racist country or are we a country that actually celebrates? Mm. I'm not convinced we're there as yet. So we're evolving the mindset. I think we have to learn to evolve the mindset. Uh, when it comes to our Indigenous, we obviously we never celebrated them. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other problem that we now have is that ethnics now are just as racist against white Australians. Mm-hmm. Now, if you exclude them from the conversation of uh, uh, all inclusivity, mm-hmm. it's never going to happen. Mm-hmm. So we can't now decide that we'll all sit over this side because we feel hard done by, by white supremacy mm-hmm. and then exclude them from the conversation. Mm-hmm. All you're doing is recreating history. It just looks different. So we actually have to get together as communities mm-hmm. uh, and all-inclusive communities to have better stories and to learn to accept each other. And I'm not actually just talking about white people being racist mm-hmm. or all-inclusive. I'm talking about ethnics being the same way now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. So my conversation is controversial, but it, but it needs to happen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it definitely. Um, that's a very, very valid point that uh, you need to incorporate everyone in the in the conversation. Yeah. And look, times are changing. The millennials will know will not be racist. Mm. You know, it's more my parents' generation and whatever they then taught their kids and how they interpret life and the way they look at things. Yeah, but the way our children are growing up these days, mm. they won't understand racism mm. the way we've understood it because it is so diverse and all inclusive now. You know, now that um, gay marriage has been accepted in Australia, mm. people are allowed to be who they are now. It's mm. it's you know we we talk about being gender neutral these days. Mm. Our kids are growing up in a different world so they don't need to worry about being muslim or brown or pink or black it doesn't matter they've got bigger fish to fry now they've got different worlds to lead they have a sense of wanting entitlement and empowerment at a different level Mm -hmm. so i think the issues will be different so we will eventually get rid of this problem so we're creating a new future we are kind of freeing ourselves from the shackles of the past what kind of contribution do you think uh, i guess the indian or muslim cultures have to contribute to Melbourne's cultural life? Oh, look, I mean, if you were to take... You know, I was going to try and create a a show and a documentary around what if, and it was what if the top ten countries that migrated to Australia didn't exist in this country? Mm -hmm. What would it look like? And, you know, yes, I will take the piss a little bit myself and all of a sudden I'll be standing outside the building and not one taxi would turn up. Um, (laughs) If no Indians lived here, like, what would we do? (laughs) Who would take us around? You know, we no longer have to worry about our electricity and gas because nobody's calling us. You know, it's those things. But 
Uh, what do they do for our country? They do so much. They contribute billions of dollars in international student fees. Um, they've created culture, cuisine, um, f- relationships, friendships. They've brought so much to our country, actually. And I think it's important for them to be comfortable to share that with, with the community. I do. Yeah. I talk about my culture to other people. I talk about the quirks, the craziness, the weirdness, the great stuff. Um, be honest about who we are. Let people see who we really are inside, you know. And mm-hmm. and political incorrectness, there's nothing wrong with it until it hurts somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's nothing wrong with me going, hey, my mum uh, talks like this mm-hmm. until it actually harms another person. Mm-hmm. It's about being comfortable to celebrate culture. Mm-hmm. And culture is funny as well. It's so funny. And yeah. life would be so boring if we were all the same, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I see it like in the workplace. I came from a uh, industry that is primarily old white males <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> and you right. you see when you add and they're they're working to improve it right it's a process but you see when they add a different element whether it be a female or someone from a different culture then like all of a sudden the team and the ideas shift because there's just a whole different view on life and take on ways to solve problems and the the teams thrive Absolutely. Yeah. Cultural intelligence is a really important topic. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember one of my last corporate jobs, I was working in business development and my silverhead white manager mm-hmm. took me to another silverhead white, uh, you know, white mm-hmm. CEO for mm-hmm. some sales, a sales opportunity. Mm-hmm. And the first thing he said to him was, she looks Indian, but she's really Aussie. Okay. <laughs> and I was a little bit surprised. <laughs> I thought, why did you feel that you needed to explain that? Yeah. And there's, a, there's something that I call subconscious racism, mm-hmm. is we don't even know we've got this issue or this yeah. problem, but there's something deep inside of us that, that holds this resentment or issue. We don't know even why. Mm-hmm. And it's about trying to find a way to break through those shackles and figure out the why actually behind what it is. And it's mm-hmm. fear. Mm-hmm. We fear our own identities. We fear about. We fear what we're used to, and we fear of change. Mm-hmm. Uh, I fear the gender neutral conversation because it's not because I don't agree with it. It's mm-hmm. because I don't understand it well enough to know how to embrace it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I fear change. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So it's not that I'm against it. Mm-hmm. It's just that I'm not educated enough to get it. Mm-hmm. Somebody needs to come into my world to educate me. Yeah. Um, and that's what we need more of. Yeah. Yeah. And I really, um, so my theory on like the um, sort of inherent innate racism is that it's probably like really evolutionarily built into us when we're a tribe of 120 people way back in the day. And then someone comes up that's different. Like, are they going to, you know, attack us and fight us for our land, whatever. And it probably developed, but now we're at a place where it hasn't evolved out of us yet. So it's, I think always going to like be there in a moment, but it's, we now have the choice and the responsibility to learn. And then we can decide like, that's not, real and you know, absolutely put it away when it comes up you know yeah. the other day my, yeah <laughs> my, my daughter said to me the other day mum why are we different why am I brown mm-hmm. and my other girlfriends are you know lighter brown because they're Greek and mm-hmm. you know why and I said because life would be boring a little bit what you said before mm-hmm. Casey it would be so boring if we were all the same so I played a little trick on the kids mm-hmm. 
and I spoke to them as they, they, as they were both the same person. Mm-hmm. So, and I couldn't tell the difference between the two. So mm-hmm. when my son Shahan was talking to me, I was like, oh, Aaliyah, blah, blah, blah. And he said, no, it's me, Shahan. And I said, I, but you look like Aaliyah. And he said, no, it's me. And I said, but if we were all the same, mm-hmm. this is what would happen. I wouldn't know the difference. I wouldn't know who you are. Or she, if we were all the same, how would we know, yeah. right? And he said, no, I want to be different. <laughs> I'm Shahan. I'm a boy and I'm different. What and a great experiment. Yeah, it was just a great experiment because I, I talked to my husband the same way. I was calling all of them Aaliyah. Uh-huh. And she said, this is really frustrating. Stop talking to us this way. And I said, but don't you want to be the same? Don't you all want to be the same? Mm-hmm. And that's when I realised no difference is great. Wow. Because then I've got a unique quality that nobody else has. Yeah. And that's the way we teach kids, you know? Yeah. Not through saying, you know, when I was back in my day, mm. we didn't like the Greeks and we didn't do this. And we didn't, mm. that's what was different back. You just have to celebrate diversity yeah. uh, in ways that kids get. Just like and then the, they will be the future for us. The famous T-shirts that you can buy on holiday in Thailand. Same, same, but different. <laughs> exactly. Same. And we are. We mm. are all the same, but we're mm. so different. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. Husna begins to share with us what advice she would give to those kids on the playground in Tasmania that used to see her as different. Remember that everybody has stories to tell, mm-hmm. yeah? Um, they remember that you're just as different as they are, mm-hmm. yeah? Um, is that a nice word to a kid um, will make you feel better about yourself, mm-hmm. yeah? Kids these days, the bullying that goes on in schools scares me to death. Mm. Um, and they're doing it because they don't understand um, the outcome. Mm. They don't understand what other kids are going through. And it's to remind children um, that hurtful words cause more damage than they realise. Give them examples. Kids are smarter these days than what we were back in the <laughs> old. They're really switched on because they came out of their mums either with an iPhone opportunity or an Android. Yeah. We asked them the question in the, in the, in the labour room. <laughs> what did you, what do you prefer? So these kids are a lot more educated. Believe me, the things that they watch, they're smarter and more mature. Mm-hmm. So you can have conversations with them about mm-hmm. this isn't good. Yeah. yeah? Um, it's about teaching your children about how to treat others mm-hmm. and the values and about wanting to ask them the right questions. If you don't understand something, ask. Mm. But don't bully. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Because I, you know, I grew up in a very small, very white town, right? And there's, you get told, you know, political correctness and things. And then you get kind of scared to even, like, talk to someone who's different than yourself. But just, yeah, it's just asking from a place of curiosity rather than... Absolutely, absolutely, Casey. And if there was a few years ago, Simon, I, can't, I don't know if you remember this one, but there was an issue around you can't say Happy Easter at school anymore mm. to respect the Muslims. Yes, now, I just want to make them, and the Jewish and all the mm. rest of it. So this, just to be clear on that one, mm. no Muslim or Jew actually mm. asked for that. <laughs> the media and the politicians create all this hype to actually create a uh, um, divide. Mm. I mean, that's the, that's the purpose of the media, is to create more and more divide. So don't listen to that. I didn't ask for that. I went to Catholic school, as all Muslim girls do. Mm. So let's not do this. We don't ask for that to happen. But the media has a lot to be responsible for mm. when it comes to how we all treat each other and how we feel about each other. Mm. It is because of the media that people hate Muslims. Um, 
I have witnessed terrorism, obviously. We all have, mm-hmm. from what we've seen in the world. But the biggest form of terroris- terrorism that I witnessed in my lifetime was Martin Bryant and the Port Arthur case in Tasmania. So um, I'm not sure if you remember the story. Yeah, the, the, it's about more than 20 years ago now, the massacre. The massacre. At the Port Arthur tourist site in Tasmania. Now, I lived in Tasmania. This was Eid Day. Now, Eid is the most important festival from all Muslims. They fast for 30 days in Ramadan, and then they celebrate. It's like mm. Christmas Day. And it was, on, it was on our Christmas Day that I'm driving back home in Tasmania to see helicopters flying over the bridge. And we uh, put the TV on, and we keep hearing, 20 are now dead, 25, 27, 30. You know, this man went as far as killing every member of a person's family and he left the, the father alive to suffer and he told him so my dad was a psychiatrist and he actually interviewed this criminal mm-hmm. and my point is at not any stage do we ask him his religion mm-hmm. um we didn't speak about whether he was catholic we well, what we did do is we definitely explained that he had a mental health problem mm-hmm. i haven't seen any muslim terrorist get away with having a mental health problem so I guess what we have to do is be careful about how the media portray cultures, yeah, mm-hmm. and ask more questions. If you're confused by the controversy and the things that don't make sense to you, ask, research, mm-hmm. speak to the authentic people in your life. Uh, don't just follow what the TV is telling you. Yeah, I feel that people are quite confused these days. There's yeah. so much information coming at us and we're not necessarily getting the information firsthand. It's coming second or third hand and there's a lot of hearsay. Mm-hmm. You know, when I used to do speed date, somebody asked me, how do you feel about how women um, you know, are finally allowed to drive in Saudi Arabia? It must be so empowering. And I said, well, that's a cultural problem. It's got nothing to do with Islam. Oh, come on, of course it's an Islamic problem. Mm-hmm. I said, well, look, when the Quran was written... 1400 years ago I don't know if the Hyundai was around (laughs) or the Mazda yeah yeah? I don't think that God said the Toyota is banned for all females Mm. to drive cars didn't exist Mm. so use some logic Mm. yeah Yeah. is that how can a woman have been told in Islam she wasn't allowed to drive when back in the day when that scripture was written they didn't exist So for me, it's like, can you not see how much man-made nonsense we live by Mm -hmm. and call it religion? Mm. So culture versus a religion is a really important topic. Mm. What is cultural? What is religious? There's a woman out there called Ayan Hersiali, an African lady that was circumcised, Mm. that blamed Islam for it. Well, no woman should be circumcised in Islam. It is abhorrent and it is unheard of. But it is very much heard of in both Christian and Muslim um, um, sex within Africa. Mm. But what we're doing is we're destroying our world and we're destroying humanity by blaming religion. We're blaming uh, things that don't really exist. Mm-hmm. So I've got a real fight in me to, to turn the story around mm-hmm. and, say, and, and ask people, did you actually ask the question? Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't think women can drive, go back to the Quran and show me. Mm-hmm. Show me and I'll change my opinion. But until then, let's not have these crazy conversations. <laughs> Husna moved from small-town Tasmania to Sydney, the largest city in Australia. She discusses what that was like for her and the new challenges that brought. Wow. So I, because mom and dad were quite strict, I wanted to to live an independent life. Mm. And I'm a big believer of the law of attraction. Mm. When I was a little girl, I used to role-play in my bedroom. Mm -hmm. 
about pretending to be on 90210. Mm -hmm. And I was living with my friends, going to uni, and I would role play it out. Mm -hmm. I would journal write, and I would actually almost affirm these things. I didn't know I was doing it. Mm -hmm. And I would almost ask God every night. Now, God could be called Law of Attraction or Buddha or whatever Mm -hmm. it is. It's whatever you believe to be true Mm -hmm. is how I see life. Mm -hmm. And funnily enough, I then get into a degree that wasn't in Tasmania and I get to move to Mm -hmm. Sydney to do occupational therapy. Mm -hmm. So I didn't come to Melbourne first. I've moved to the biggest city and I've gone from this small district Mm -hmm. to Sydney. Yeah, (laughs) well. Mama mia. I mean, this was mind-blowing for me. I didn't know how to get from A to B. I was just having a meltdown, but it was the most exciting thing that could have ever happened. Mm -hmm. What I found difficult, though, is coming from a smaller city, Mm -hmm. you're friendlier, Mm -hmm. you're more open with people, you love Mm -hmm. community spirit, and here I was in a city like Sydney where nobody really cares No one stops to say hi. Nobody stops to say hi, and I'm saying hi to everyone. And they're like, who is this weirdo? So it was a really huge life change, but an exciting one, Mm -hmm. a really exciting one. And I started to look back on my life and say, everything as a child that I Mm -hmm. created in my mind Mm -hmm. happened. So I really encourage people to journal write to write their goals down. The minute you put something on paper, it becomes real. Mm. Don't just think things. Mm. Plan them. You know, get your kids to do this stuff. I've got my kids with, uh, you know, affirmations all over their cupboards. Because, And I say to them, I promise you, one day this stuff will will happen. Um, So that journey from Tassie to Sydney Uh was somehow planned, I think, in a way, and was the best experience of my life. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. And, like... uh the experience of going from being the only brown person to this hugely diverse city was uh, like what you know what was that I had to face a new challenge my darling I'll tell you what this one was mm-hmm. I got myself involved in the Indian society at the University of Sydney uh-huh. and a lot of these guys and girls had actually come straight from India mm-hmm. so now the problem was not that I had a, a crisis about being an Aussie mm-hmm. Indians from India didn't really accept me as being an Indian uh, yeah. <gasps> And it was mind-blowing. Wow. So yeah. they were like, you know, you're not really like us, right? Mm-hmm. You're like, you're totally Aussie and we're like totally Indian. And I just think to myself, here we go again, mm-hmm. where I don't feel accepted again, but so badly want to be a part of both my cultures. Yeah. And as a youngster growing up, you know, don't we all desperately want to belong? We just so badly want to belong. Yeah. So I think what we need to somehow find a way to do mm-hmm. is strip back colour, Mm. Uh, and the conversation around even cultures and just go back to who am I Mm -hmm. and what do I bring to you? Um, That's more important than, um, I guess, the colour of my skin or the God or God I don't believe in. Yeah, bucketing you into some... Absolutely. Now, I've been the queen of bucketing, (laughs) but I've had to to get to where I am, Mm -hmm. to get the conversations to turn around and become about the human. Mm -hmm. Those conversations have been needed um, to share the experiences of what can happen um, when we're not accepted. So those stories were important. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's probably something I'm sure a lot of people, especially now, experience that are like I guess would that be first second generation whatever that they're torn between two worlds of their new culture and their you know their parents and like 
where their parents came from. Completely, Casey. Yeah. You know, my husband's Mauritian. Mm-hmm. I call him a fop because he's fresh off the plane. <laughs> but um, yeah, he's a fop, total fop. Um, so very heavy Mauritian French accent. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're different cultures, you know, mm-hmm. similar cultures because India, you know, is very heavily influenced in Mauritius. Mm-hmm. And I, now I have mixed children, mm-hmm. and we both have to learn to accept as well that now our kids are not going to have a piece of India the way I'd like them to have and a piece Mm -hmm. of Mauritius that he'd like them to have we can only give them what we can Mm -hmm. but we should never confuse them Mm. see for me we're confused in our generation because we still have parents two parents that have come from the same country same values uh, same way of life etc now you've got children that have got a little bit of that plus completely Aussie as well Mm -hmm. dad's a little bit Mauritian and heavily influenced by that so it's so Mm -hmm. confusing so you have to teach kids of today Mm -hmm. about being human Mm -hmm. not that mummy's got a bit of this and a bit of that and otherwise Mm -hmm. they're going to grow up with bigger identity crisis than than Mm -hmm. ours and cultures are going to have to accept that have moved here you know from the 70s or the 80s that eventually their children will no longer have because they will continue to mix and eventually they will um, no longer have those cultures which is Mm. why it's important to teach them about being human Mm. yeah as they will just it'll just be storytelling after a while yeah yeah Um, and that's great as long as you don't give them issues about who they are Mm. yeah We transition to understand more about Alicia's Cafe and how they are celebrating and educating the community about different world cultures. So, Simon, on Saturday nights here at Alicia's, we have world live music. Mm -hmm. So every week we have uh, musicians from all over, from Spain, Peru, India, you name it, instruments I've never seen before mm. and that's what we celebrate every Saturday night here is a different performance from a different country and that is a great way to educate and entertain and empower people to, to, to appreciate culture yeah. so that, that's how we do it here yeah. you know we even do Spanish singing and we teach kids how to learn how to speak and sing Spanish you know that's pretty cool so yeah. there's so much here there is so much um, no wonder I'm exhausted and have shadows under my eyes <laughs> Yeah, well, Shadows of greatness. Yeah, Shadows of yeah, greatness. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. And I mean, music is one of those things like cuisine. It's like something every culture in the Completely. world has, you know, in Completely. some form. So that's really beautiful. Oh, also, I'd like to ask, what are you most grateful for? You've spoken about so many different things and um, so many different formative experiences, but um, you've really got something going here. Uh, Alicia's is amazing. Thank you. What are you grateful for? Thank you so much. Um, I am grateful for having the strength Mm. to get through adversity Mm. and to have the ability to to share that experience. Um, I don't look stressed right now, but I'm really stressed. Because we have, you know, uh, you know, financial demands of a business and a new business. I have um, sacrificing the kids in different ways as well. There are so many things um, that go through my mind, but I say to myself every day, rather than feeling like I'm failing or I'm not succeeding, I say to myself, thank you for giving me the strength to be strong enough to get through these challenges. I am so lucky that I'm healthy enough, positive enough, and uh, aware enough that there are people around us that can help and, uh, and get you through adversity. And I'm really grateful for humanity. Um, there are people that have brought us down, but there are now people that are helping raise us. You know, Alicia's has struggled a little bit financially, 
And as an example, we have a, a bar called Benji's Bar just down the road mm-hmm. that um, have heard our story and some of the challenges here and uh, wash our dishes for free four times a week. We have other local businesses that just help for no reason. And I have learned so much about community spirit. Mm. Uh, I'm for- forever grateful for that's humanity. Amazing. Yeah, wow. That's beautiful. Awesome. Well, thank you. I'm like, uh, you're spiriting. I, I already said it. It's very contagious. And um, I what you've created is very, very beautiful. Thank and you. I really appreciate Thanks your time. So like, I'm glad there are people like you out there Thanks, sweetheart. I appreciate it. That was lots of fun. Yeah. <laughs> so you enjoyed it. It's great to speak with you, Osno. Production and audio editing brought to you by Richard Borger with Meraki Recordings.